That's right, season three premiere of TK's A Brigade. I am your host, TK, and this season has some new guests. One of my old dear friends, Matt Garcia. I've been so blessed in my life to just have incredible friends, you know, you, Chris, and Bryce. And then from season two, we're gonna revisit Mr. Eric Time Bomb Cox. And if I remember correctly, I wanna say it was in time to pay your dues, and it was something that I did on the drum. And last but not least, my boy and your favorite, Mr. Doe. I do remember the CD release party. It was the nicest I ever dressed to go to a Switchback gig. So tune in here on Season 3 as we continue on old series, create some new series, have new guests with new stories, here on TK's A Brigade. Man, Season 3 already? That's crazy. We left off last time with the Friends series, my best friend Chris. Uh, this season we've got some new guests, my man Matt. I'm going to get back on with my boy Eric, and uh, I think we're going to get some of our female friends on. But I want to kick this first episode off with the Celebrity Series episode, talking about all the people I've met in the past and worked with, uh, but mostly talking about my experiences um, as a security agent, as a bouncer, as a protective detail. I'm going to share with you, starting back at the beginning and just working my way forward, so I hope you enjoy these stories. So the first story that I'm going to share with you about my celebrity security experience starts when I was 12 years old. So right around 1992, we had a festival back home in Cedar Rapids called Lamb Jam. Now, funny story how I even learned about this festival. I was knocking doors selling products for a nonprofit organization called Junior Careers. And I knocked on this woman's door. She comes to the door and we start our little back and forth. I'm telling her what I'm doing. She's like, oh, well, come on in. Meet my son. And, you know, I was a big kid. So, you know, it didn't scare me to go into a stranger's home. So I come in. And on her couch was a bunch of posters. And smack dab in the center of the poster was DC Talk. I was like, wait a minute. What? What is that about? And she said, oh, it's a uh, Christian festival that we are putting on in town. I said, you got DC Talk to come? And she said, oh, yeah, we've got the Newsboys. I was like, who's that? We've got Nicole C. Mullins, who was touring with the Newsboys at the time. And we've got Mark Farner from Grand Funk Railroad. Grant Goodeve. So some of you older uh, generational people might remember Eight is Enough. Uh, he was the oldest son on that show. And so he came and performed. Uh, there were some other artists. I don't remember everybody at that festival um, just because I was so geeked about DC Talk coming I mean, that, you know, whatever. And so, to be honest, like, this is kind of a two-in-one story because, uh, <laughs> you know, it's crazy. Later on in life, you know, you, you catch up with people, you meet up with people, and um, I have a really good memory, and I only say that because... Um, the the good and the bad about my memory is the fact that I can remember really good things, but I can also remember really bad things that have happened in my life. And so there's really not a differentiation. I don't really suppress a lot of memory. Obviously, I've probably suppressed some, but for the majority of it, my brain is like a file on a computer. You just push play and there it is. So 1992, a Lamb Jam Festival in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. I'm working security, and the only reason I was even working security is because I was about six feet tall, six one maybe, about that time. So I was a big kid, and I, you know, they 
needed volunteers from the church. And so I remember as we got closer to the festival, uh, we actually got a call from DC Talks management asking us if we could pick them up at the airport. And I remember that day vividly because, I mean, are you kidding me? Like, go pick up Toby, Mike, and Kevin from the airport, plus pick up uh, Coffee and Bone, who later became um, one of my favorite hip-hop artists, Grits. Uh, So, here we are, uh, 92, working a festival. Um, Unfortunately, um, we didn't have the capacity to pick them up from the airport, so that didn't work out. But fast forward to the... First night, Friday night. I don't remember the weekend date. I go back and look it up. I believe it was in July sometime, but I'm not 100% sure. But I remember vividly uh, DC Talk headline that Friday night. And I remember waiting around backstage. I was working stage left. Uh, The Newsboys had played earlier that day, and I had never heard of them before. But they were amazing. They absolutely rocked it out. And I was just like, who are these guys from Australia? Well, they had Nicole C. Mullins, who later became a uh, a pretty prominent, successful artist on her own. And so the Newsboys are right in the middle of their set. I'm just completely like blown away. I'm standing on the side of the stage watching them. I've got my lanyard. I am just completely in heaven. So they take a quick break and uh, John James, the lead singer at the time, he's talking to the audience and they're doing their thing. And so she comes over and she says, hey, young man, can you refill my water bottle for me? And I was like, sure, whatever you need. You know, you need a towel, you need some snacks, whatever you need. I'll do it for you. So I run down to the artist tent and I remember this so vividly because on her straw of her water bottle, it, it, the top of it was covered in lipstick. And I just remember thinking, how is she drinking water with all this lipstick on there? And then just a weird memory. But see, this is why I remember things so vividly because of little triggers like that. So I fill it up and I take it back to her and they finish their set. And I'm just like, man, these guys are awesome. I want their music. And I remember going into the merch uh, building. They had this giant building full of merch for all the bands. And I remember going in there and finding their table. And what was so cool was, um, and this was a little later, like I was taking a break. And their bass player, um, Sean, his name is Sean. He's standing at their table. Now, these cats are from Australia, right? So they come to America. They're touring all over the world. And I remember going to the table and looking at their CDs and their T-shirts. And I'm just like, I want a CD. I want a T-shirt. And Sean, he's sitting there and we start talking and he's just kind of telling me, you know, hey, you know, this is who we are. This is where we came from. And they've got, I believe at the time that was, they were on their Not Ashamed tour. So they were like three records into their tour. So they, I think they started in like 88 and then, you know, we moved in 92. So like four or five years into it. But um, I mean, they were just, I was so impressed. And I remember sitting there. And I'm listening to his stories about their current tour, and I'm just completely impressed. You know, I want to be a musician at this point in my life. I want to be, you know, a rock star. And when I say rock star, I don't mean like famous and rich and all that nonsense. When I say rock star, I want to be an influence. I want to have an impact on people's lives in a positive way that spreads the gospel that is a a positive disciple for Christ. And I want to be able to use music as that tool. Um, Being a big guy, you know, people seem to 
uh, you know, like levitate toward me in a, in a positive way. I mean, obviously, you know, I'm human, so I make mistakes. But, you know, we as believers and we as human beings, you know, I think that depending on how you have an outlook on life, it really just depends on how people respond to you. And so I was such a positive kid. I was such a happy kind of go lucky. Like I wanted everybody to be my friend. You know, I wanted to just, I wanted everybody to like me. So, you know, when it comes to the musicians, I'm like, oh man, I want to be your friend. You know, and it was being goofy, but I remember standing there talking to him and he showed me a technique, which was completely weird, but it was cool on how to catch live flies. So we sitting there, we're talking, my mom walks in, Hey, you know, Trav, what are you doing? I'm like, Oh, you know, just talking to Sean here. She's like, Oh yeah, you were on that, on the stage with the band earlier. And he said, yeah, I'm the bassist. And so he showed me how to catch flies like out of the midair. He had a bag of them because, you know, we're out in the cornfield. So, you know, there's flies and whatnot. But just the memory of that. So anyways, fast forward, same day, later that evening. I am so stoked for DC Talk to show up. Uh, but at this point in their career, they were just, they were steamrolling. And I knew they were getting ready to release a record later that year. But man, they were getting international attention from people around the world. And Grammy nods. I mean, these guys were starting to really grow. So you got Toby, Mike, and Kevin, right? Well, DC Talk always tour with dancers. And so I remember distinctively seeing them at the Five Season Center in Cedar Rapids uh, when they were on tour with Michael W. Smith. And I remember the dancers had come out um, before Toby, Mike, and Kevin when, when, the, uh, when they were on their new thing tour. And I remember vividly going, I want to do that. I want to be a dancer. I want to be a choreographer. That was such a passion of mine. And so when they showed up and the band showed up, there was no dancers. Except they had two little kids with them. And I'm like, oh, well, where's Coffee and Bonafide? Like, where are, you know, because Juan Archero, I think is his name. I don't know how to say it. It might be wrong. But Juan had been their choreographer and their dancer forever. And if you look at their older videos, he is uh, one of the dancers in the videos. But um, two of their dancers, Coffee and Bone, who later became Grits, was not there. And I'm like, okay, where's Coffee and Bone? And of course, I don't want to ask, you know, I don't want to be like, hey, what happened to Coffee and Bone? Well, so... As they are warming up, I'll never forget this, but I remember uh, Michael Tate was up in the back of an empty uh, semi-trailer, and he was warming up his vocals. Toby was kind of walking around, and Kevin Max Smith was standing there, and I remember distinctively walking up to him, and I, you know, I had my security badge on and a security shirt, so you know, I was you know, identified as not just a fanboy. But I remember walking up to him, and he smiled at me, and I was like, hey, man, can I ask you a question? He was like, yeah, man, sure, go ahead. And I said, hey, are you related to Michael W. Smith? Because, you know, I'm a Smith. He's a Smith. Smitty's a Smith. You know, and not that I had any illusions that him and I were related, but I was just curious, you know, and it was a way for me to talk to him without feeling, you know, completely awkward. And he said, you know what, brother? And he took his arm and he put it on my shoulder. He says, well, we're all brothers in Christ. And I was like, okay. And I took that answer and I was like, cool. And so as I'm standing there and I'm kind of watching them moving around, I'm kind of just absorbing the moment. You know, Toby says to the guys, he says, hey, guys, gather around. One-way posse. Come on, gather around. And he gathers everybody around into a circle. And uh, they have a prayer. 
And um, the DJ from the local radio station was getting ready to introduce them on stage. And there's like four or 5,000 people, you know, out in the front of the audience. And I remember walking around the other side to my post. I had been there all day. And I really didn't care, you know. I mean, I was tired, but I was stoked. And at that point, I had created a little um, kind of an entrance exit in the fence so I could go around and watch the stage from the front of the stage versus the side of the stage. So, you know, I was kind of hanging out, and I remember just sneaking through the stage, and I, I go out front, and I'm sitting there watching. And I remember just distinctively watching every move, of, you know, that they're doing, everything that's going on in stage. And so... Since Coffee and Bone didn't show up, they've got these two young kids on stage. And so they ended up being the dancers for the night, for the gig. And later down the road, I find out that uh, Toby's a longtime backup vocalist, backup um, hype man, backup dancer, who is still with Diversity today, is Gabe Real. The, one of the little kids was Gabe Real. And I had no idea, but, you know, that's for another day. But I remember distinctively watching, and I'm just, you know, obviously I know the songs, so I'm singing along, and I'm just so pumped, right? And about five or six songs into their set, Toby jumps up onto one of the risers that was in the back part of the stage. He slips and lands on his knee. And I remember this so vividly because I remember, like, you know, obviously they keep going because they're professionals, but I remember Toby just, sit, like, kneeling there for a good 10 seconds, before he got up and you could see that he was in pain and he was wearing shorts, you know, and his knee was all red. He gets up and, he, you know, so they finished the set and he was obviously, um, he was in some pain. So I remember afterwards I ran around back and he comes off stage and he's kind of limping. He gets up on the, the trailer and, you know, so they had a medic come and look at him and, you know, he ended up being okay. They had headlined the Friday night. So then they were, they were done. And um, next day, come back nice and sunny and I remember um, my dad had kept telling me that there was an artist that was headlining or not headline I'm sorry not headlining but playing like at a good slot that night and his name was Mark Farner now Mark Farner was a part of a international band back in the 70s and 80s called Grand Funk Railroad and Grand Funk was Grammy award-winning multi-platinum selling you know southern rock style you know, rockabilly style band. And so I had no idea who they were. But what I did know was that anybody that had any clout, anybody that had any kind of notoriety, I just wanted to know and I just wanted to meet them. And and again, you know, not for, you know, not for bragging rights, really, just to be able to be in that moment, to be able to spend um, that moment in, in that kind of mindset, that euphoric mindset of just being in an environment that I wanted to be a part of. And I remember as the day moved along, um, my dad comes up to me and I'm standing in the same position I had been the night before on the stage left. I remember my dad coming up and going, hey, Travis, I need to go up to the top of the hill because they took the um, bus driver, the tour bus driver for Mark Farner's tour bus to the hotel already, but they need to move the bus down here by the stage and no one's willing to drive. And so I am going to go up there and I'm going to drive his tour bus down here to the stage. So when I get down here, they're probably going to need some people to help offload the gear. I'm like, let's go. I am so stoked. I am so ready to do this. Sure enough, here comes the tour bus. Pulls up right next to the stage. 
Mark Farner gets off the bus. And again, I don't know who this guy was, but this guy was, a, at this point, he's a legend already. And I remember walking over there, and I'm standing there, and I got all my gear on, and he says, hey, young man, come here. I said, yes, sir, what do you need? He says, I have two guitars up on my bus under my bed. Could you please go up and grab them and you know bring them down here? And I'm like, yeah, man, sure, absolutely. I remember getting up on the bus and walking to the back of the bus. And mind you, first time ever on a tour bus, I fell in love immediately. So anybody that knows me, well, and you might not even know this, but I'm going to say it now. I would love to live on a decked out tour bus because as far as I'm concerned, you can go anywhere in the world on a tour bus. And I just, that, I don't know, that uh, idea of living on a bus, I know for those that have toured the world and have lived on buses, probably wouldn't agree, but this was more of a, um, a personalized, almost independent for him. It wasn't uh, set up for like 12 people, so it was a lot more, um, you know, it was a lot more homey for an individual or a few people. But it was nice. It was an older bus, but man, it was nice. And I remember pulling the guitars out. He had two Gibsons and a Martin. And for those guitarists that know that those, you know, those are nice guitars. Pull them out, take them off the bus. Roadies are pulling gear off the side of the bus or from underneath the bus. Uh, Texts are getting things going. People are getting things set up. And his drummer comes up and starts uh, loading drums up onto the stage. He's like, hey, can you help me do this? And I was like, yeah, absolutely, man. So I start lumping drums up onto the stage and um, you know, and I'm again for those that know me know that I love to ask questions. In fact, I ask questions about everything. I am very inquisitive, and I want to know because asking questions for me, especially when they're not just rhetorical questions or questions that you don't know uh, or you know the answer to, but you just want to kind of find out what somebody says. But I honestly, genuinely asked questions because I didn't know. So I'm I'm asking different questions. You know, what kind of drums do you have? You know, how long have you played you know, music? You know, just, just being a 12-year-old kid. And the drummer was super cool, man. He kept telling me, like, you know, little stories about their tour that they were currently on. And just, you know, like, you know, we weren't, like, constantly talking because he's working. His drum tech's helping him. And, and I was kind of helping him and everything. And I was like, hey, I have a huge favor to ask. Can I buy one of your drumsticks um, when you're done tonight as a souvenir? And he laughs at me and he kind of looks at his drum bag and he kind of looks back up at me because he was sitting at his kit by, at this point. And he's like, nah, man, I, you don't have to buy a kit or you don't have to buy a stick. But when we're done, I'll, I'll just let you have one because it'll probably be busted up anyways. And, you know, I have 40. So I was like, sweet. He says, I'll tell you what, I'll do you one better. When we get ready to play, you can sit next to me on stage while we play. I was like, wait a minute. You mean like actually on the stage? He's like, yeah, man. See that chair? There was like a folding chair kind of off to the corner. He said, just grab that chair. When we get ready to play, man, you can just post up right here next to me. I was like, I won't be in the way. He's like, nah, man, you'll be good. I was like, oh, for sure. So, you know, they do sound check and they introduce them like 25, 30 minutes later. They start. And sure enough, I'm sitting next to Mark Farner's drummer on stage lamb jam 1992 cedar rapids iowa and i'll tell you man that was um, such an experience because getting to be around musicians that were already successful getting to be around people that you know i didn't even really know but you know millions of people knew who this guy was 
you know, and even prior, you know, to the the day before with DC Talk and the Newsboys, working with them and, and getting to, you know, talk to them and, and be around them. I mean, that again, as a 12 year old kid, I'm just like, okay, this is what I want to do. Not be a security guard for the rest of my life, but I want to be able to entertain people in a positive way and, and spread the gospel in a way that's, um, you know, using music as that tool. And so sat through the set, they finish up, we offload, they take off. So there was like an hour break between that, you know, that set and the next set before the next band was setting up. And again, I, you know, I'm kind of just like in a whirlwind cause I'm trying to get autographs and I'm not supposed to, but I'm getting autographs from different people walking around there's a food tent backstage you know water and food and everything else and i'm sitting there backstage behind the stage on the ground and i was sitting on a folding chair and this gentleman walks up and he was you know he was a good looking guy i mean he was probably in his i want to say maybe late 30s early 40s you know clean cut harry that feathered haircut and you know nice jeans and cowboy boots and a nice shirt you know he was dressed well he looked nice you know everything and He's like, hey, how you doing, man? And I was like, I'm good. I'm good. You know, how are you? He's like, oh, man, I'm good. You know, this is heat, bro. It's like, you know, it feels good to be back here because we were in the shade of the stage. And so we were sitting backstage in the shade. And he's like, you know, so, you know, do you play sports? And I was like, yeah, not really. I, I mean, I played, you know, I was getting ready to play that year, but I hadn't even known that I was going to. But I was like, yeah, I play soccer and, you know, basketball. And he's like, what about football? And I said, nah, you know, I have a back disease called spina bifida. And in fifth grade, I was diagnosed with that. And the doctor told me that if I were ever to get hit in the back really hard, that I could be paralyzed. And in fact, the fact that I wasn't already paralyzed from birth um, was a miracle in itself. So we have this great 10, 15 minute conversation. And I remember specifically he had taken a, a folding chair and he had flipped it around and he kind of sat down like backwards on it. So like the back part was he was leaning over. And it, again, we're just having this really cool, you know, casual conversation about life. And I had no idea who this guy was. So he's like, well, hey, man, I got to go get ready because I'm getting ready to play. And I was like, oh, you're an artist. He's like, yeah, man. And I was like, cool. Well, my name is Travis. He's like, well, hey, what's up, man? My name is Grant. And I was like, well, nice to meet you, Grant. He gets up, walks off. My mom and another woman that was working the food tent comes out of the food tent. They're all wide-eyed and smiling. And they come walking over. They're like, do you know who that was? And I was like, No. Well, did he introduce himself? I said, yeah. He said his name was Grant. And the woman goes, that was Grant Goodeve. I said, okay. And? So, for those that don't know, there was a show in, I want to say the 70s, early 80s. It was called Eight is Enough. And Dick Van Patten was a dad. And um, Grant Goodeve was the oldest son um, on the show. And there was eight of them in the show. And that's what the show was about, I guess. It was about a family. But it was a huge, like, successful show. And he was the oldest son. So here's this, you know, TV star. And he actually did a few movies after the fact um, down the road. But, you know, I just had this casual conversation with him. Didn't even know who he was. And my mom and this woman, other woman, she was just a volunteer. They're freaking out. Oh, you got to talk to him. What would you talk to him about? And, you know, they're, they're grilling me. And it was just kind of funny, you know, to me because... To me, it was just another person. It, it wasn't this big superstar person that I was talking to. It was just a nice dude that had a really friendly demeanor and somebody who I could just sit and chat with about life and sports and music and everything else. 
And so about a half hour to 45 minutes, I want to say maybe later, um, you know, his band comes through and he sees me again and he gives me knuckles before he goes on stage. And, you know, hey, man, it was it was super cool to talk to you, bro. You know, good luck and this and that. And he went up and, there, you know, again, there's probably two, three thousand people. You know, there wasn't a huge audience, um, I think, because, you know, at the time in Cedar Rapids, in the 90s, like, you know, if you played an outdoor festival and you weren't, you know, Michael Jackson or, you know, Metallica or Kiss or somebody like that, then you probably didn't have huge numbers turning out. But it was, you know, a decent amount. Rocked the stage, had an amazing time. I remember finishing out the night. I, I couldn't tell you, honestly, if you showed me a list of bands that played that night or that weekend besides DC Talk, The Newsboys, and Grant Goodeve, I might remember them. However, that's one of the things that I remember just focusing on as I did that. And that was my first true artist experience in security. And I got to say, man, that is a memorable experience for me. And I will never forget it. As long as I can have functioning memory, uh, that will be one of those times that I just truly enjoyed. Because I'm 12 years old, you know, the heart of the Midwest, you know, growing up having these exciting memories about you know, musicians, and uh, and I've got so many more stories, so many more things to talk about, but I think I'm out of time today, uh, so you are listening to TK's A Brigade, that's right, I'm your host TK, and this is the Celebrity Series, I'm going to talk about meeting artists, movie stars, uh, comedians, uh, you name it golfers you know i've met famous golfers uh and you know 99 of the time i was working a security job and for those that think that i'm gonna brag about these stories or that i am bragging just let me let you in on a little secret because 99.9 percent of the time those jobs i would stand in a stationary position or in a very small area um you know pacing or um, being in that area is my post on my feet, sometimes six hours straight, uh, sometimes all day to the point where at night I would come home and my ankles would be completely swollen. I couldn't even straight uh, straighten my feet out. And I'd get, you know, paid eight, ten dollars an hour back then. And then, you know, down the road, not much better, ten, twelve dollars. So a store, an hour of work and these stories, you know, could get me maybe a meal from Chick-fil-A. But the memories that I have and get to share with people, I think it makes that worth it more than anything else. Because to be honest, um, I've met, like I said, some of the biggest artists in the world. I've met and worked with some of the biggest artists. And uh, I've got a lot of more to share about it. So uh, tune in. Find TK's A Brigade on Apple, Anchor, Google. Please like, subscribe. If you have any questions or comments about... Um, what I talk about and you want to know more, just let me know. Send me an email. You can email me at info at advocatesbrigade.com. I would love to uh, conversate with you. And uh, if you have any stories that you remember that we work together and you want to uh, jump in and, and fill in some areas that maybe I forgot because I do not have a perfect memory. Uh, so anybody that has stories that wants to share, let's get on an episode and talk about it. I'd love to hear uh, your rendition and your memory. I'm out of time. You are listening to TK's A Brigade. I'm your host, TK. Like, subscribe, share, partner up. And until next time, people, peace. <laughs>